We talked about prayer last week. And we're looking in Matthew chapter 6. And this is such a, a familiar subject. And I, I preach on it quite, quite much because I believe that prayer is one of the most underutilized tools that God gives us. And it is also one of the things that we can neglect in our spiritual life when we are frustrated or saddened or confused or angry. Prayer is something that we must do. And, and I'll just give you a personal understanding or a personal reflection of how I come to my prayer life. When I was younger in the faith, I didn't pray that much. Honestly, I didn't pray that much. Even going into college and Bible school, prayer wasn't that important to me. It was something that you just kind of did whenever someone told you to do it or when you would eat before you would, you know, you would pray before you eat your meal or you would uh, go to a prayer meeting and you would sit there half the time wondering what you're supposed to do during a prayer meeting. And, and prayer wasn't really that important to me. I loved the Word of God. I really did. I got into His Word. I studied His Word. I loved the Word of God. I remember the, when I was serious about going into the ministry, the first thing I asked my father was for on my birthday was a Strong's Concordance, where every word of the Bible was referenced, and you could find every single word in the Bible. That thing was like this thick, you know, and it was like about four oak trees to make this thing. And, and it, was, it was, the Word of God was always something that motivated me. But when it came to prayer, I wasn't too highly motivated. Now, I'm just going to give you reasons why prayer wasn't that important to me. Because number one, I didn't see any benefit of it. To be honest, as a young Christian, I didn't see any benefit of it. And here's why. Now I know when I look back at my life. Because I was living under the blessings and under the prayer of my mother. I was in her house and she was a praying woman. My mom prayed. She prayed and she prayed and she prayed. Prayer was essential to her life. Prayer was something that was just always in her heart. She had to pray. And she prayed and she prayed and prayed. And she prays for us. Even to this day, she prays for us, our family. But prayer was something that was instilled in her from her mother. And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. But I was living under the blessings of my mother's prayer life. So I didn't really see the importance of it. And you see this happen in, in, in people's lives. Just take the example, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was a man who had so much faith, he left everything in order to follow the Lord. A God he's never seen, a God he, he has heard, but he's never seen. And God was speaking to him in the midst of all of this paganism in Mesopotamia. We learn this from the book of Acts. Abraham knew God. He knew him so much that when God says, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac, after the miracle of him just coming, Abraham was already willing to do it. Why? Because he knew God. He talked with God. He prayed to God. He loved him. Then Isaac comes along. And what is Isaac growing up under? He's growing up under the blessings of Abraham. Abraham was blessed. Abraham was given property and, and, and cattle and goats. And he was given all this stuff. God blessed him. People saw that he was blessed. And God continued to bless Abraham. And he got so, so much stuff that him and his nephew had to separate because there wasn't enough room in order to take care of all of their property. Abraham was blessed. Abraham had a lot, and Isaac is growing up under this. 
And so when Isaac comes along, you notice we don't really hear much about Isaac. Now, Isaac was a man of faith. Because Isaac believed that whatever he spoke was going to come to pass. And this is why he's listed in the chapter, the great faith chapter of of, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Because Isaac did have faith. He believed that his words, his blessings, what was spoken were going to come to pass. So Isaac was a good guy, but he didn't grow up like Abraham. And then comes Jacob. And now Abraham's grandchild is growing up under blessings after blessings. And then for Jacob, it wasn't even really that real God. That's why he was a deceiver. That's why he was trickery. That's why he was someone who was always trying to make it happen himself. And finally, God showed up and uh, wrestled with him. and and, And Jacob realized that you're the God of my father, Abraham and Isaac. You are God. See, so when you grow up under someone's blessing, when you grow up under someone's prayer coverage, we don't really recognize and see the importance of prayer in our life. This is just my personal testimony. That's why prayer wasn't that big a deal because, well, things just always worked out. Things just always worked out. But I didn't see all of those times my mom was just praying and praying and praying. The same thing is true for our children. My wife and I, we pray for our kids. We pray that God would use them and grow them and bring that special someone into their life. We pray for them. But along the path, we tell them, you have to pray. You have to pray. Because we know why it's so important. And I believe they'll understand that. And I think they do understand that. Prayer is so important. You need God. You need God. I think they understand that because they, they realize that my dad, my dad is not my provider. My, my heavenly father is. Because I tell them, I'm not your provider. <laughs> I mean, I'll do what I can. You know, I'll do what I can. But you're on your own, kids. No, I don't say that. But see, the thing is, is that I want them to be dependent on God the way I am, the way my mother was. And the same thing is true for my wife, who grew up in a home where he prayed and their parents prayed. And she caught and understood the importance of prayer. So for me, prayer was something that wasn't necessary because I was living under the blessings of prayer. But when God finally began to to really teach me the importance of prayer, I really began to just jump in. And this is why prayer to me is so important. Because prayer to me, and I'll tell you one of the most beneficial things of prayer is the relationship that is developed between you and the Father. Prayer is about the relationship between you and the Father. And in that relationship, you get to tell him what you need. In that relationship, you get to tell him how you feel. In that relationship, he gets to tell you how he feels and what he wants of you. So prayer is something beautiful. The book of Matthew chapter 6 tells us, Verse 5, Jesus says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to pray, standing in the synagogues and street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is speaking to common people. He's speaking to you and I, and he's telling us the importance of prayer. And he says, when you pray, you go into that closet, you shut the door, you get the distractions out. 
And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And this relationship is about seeking him. It's about trusting him. It's about believing him because you can't see him. You can't see God that is moving on your behalf. You can't see God who is watching you and is with you in those moments. Now, when we're here at church or you're worshiping at home, online, or, or just in your private times, we can feel God's presence. You know, that's just amazing to me that you can feel God. Like, you know when God has showed up. You just feel it. <sighs> you feel his presence. You know he's there with you. But you can't see him. And a lot of times we don't recognize what he's doing behind the scenes. We don't, we don't see the details that he's putting together, the way he's orchestrating the story in order for it to make it happen. All those things God is doing, we don't see it. That's why we have to build that relationship of trust and faith and love so that when we go through moments of hard times, when we go through difficult situations in our life, we don't doubt the love and the care and the concern our Father is has for us. We don't doubt that he's not there. We know he is. We know he is. I was just reading in my Bible the story of David and Goliath. And you know, David, this young guy who goes out there and he, he's, you know, his father tells him to go check out on his brothers, check and see if they're okay. And, and he tells him, you know, and you make sure you go to the, the, the commanders in charge and you go and give them some cheese sandwiches and you just take care of them. But I want you to find out how your brothers are. So he gets there. David gets there and he, re- and he sees that everyone's hiding. He sees that everyone's hiding. And, and, uh, and he's like, what's going on? Well, there's this giant named Goliath, and he is the, the mighty warrior of the Philistines, the Philistines. And, 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 and here he is just, he's so big, and he's challenged us, and we're afraid. But Saul, has, the king, has promised anyone that can take this giant out, he's going to give him his daughter in marriage. And David's like, what? Let me check her out. All right. All right. Cool. Cool. And so, so he says, you know what? I'll do it. And so he says to the king, man, let me at him. And, and, you know, Saul's like, man, you're just a little boy, you know, youth labor laws. I don't know if I could do this. And he's like, no, 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 listen to me. I was, I was there and I was guarding my father's sheep and, 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 and there was a lion and there was a bear and I took him out. I took him out because God was with me and he'll be with me. And Saul says, okay, okay, go. And so Saul gives him all his equipment and David's sitting there and he's like, I can't wear this stuff, man. This isn't right. And so David says, just let me just do what I do. And so he goes out and he finds, these, finds five stones. And, um, and you know, people have just, why five stones? Why did he pick these out? What's the theological symbolism here? You know what it means? He picked up five stones and he put them in his bag, right? He's like, he just said, I need some ammo. And he puts them in his bag and he gets there and he comes out against this giant Goliath. And Goliath says, you know, you're insulting me. You know, go home, little boy. You know, your mother has a little baby bottle for you. Get out of here. And David says to me, listen, you come at me with your sword, but I come at you with the name of the Lord. And we're going to take you out because I have five stones in my pocket and we're going to do this. And, and Goliath's like, man, please. So finally, Goliath gets mad and says, okay, I'm going to teach this boy a little lesson. And he goes after him. And David picks out a stone, puts it in his sling, boom, throws it, hits him in the head, sinks in his forehead, meaning that sucker went deep. And he falls dead. David gets over Goliath and cuts his head off, holds it up and says, yeah. And everyone, the Israelite, just goes in and charges in after him. Here's the thing. 
It wasn't like David knew that God was right there physically next to him. But David knew God was with him. David knew that God was with his people. David knew that this little group of Israelites, these little groups of people, had to have a God who was mighty because it was the God who brought them out of Egypt when they were slaves. It was the God who saved them through the ark during the times of Noah, and it's the God who created the sun, the moon, and the stars. It was the God who was the creator of everything, and it's that God who started with in the beginning. It was that God who saved the people through Noah. It was that God who brought about a miracle through Abraham. It was that God who saw his people under slavery and finally freed them from the hand of Egypt and separated the sea in order to save his people. It's that God that is with me. And that's the confidence that we must have when we pray. Because listen, we don't see him. We don't have a physical manifestation. We see the fingerprints, just like I was talking last week with the doors. We sing the fingerprints of God. We see the evidence of all that he's doing, but we don't see him with our eyes. But we know that he's there. Why? Because Jesus tells us that when you pray to your father who is unseen, you better believe he sees you. And that's the confidence that we should have when we pray. That we're not just praying to a God hoping it's going to happen. Hoping that we're on the good list and not the naughty list. Hoping that God is going to bless us because he's in a good mood today. We pray to a God who is always watching, and he sees, and Jesus tells us this. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for you think they will be heard because of your many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what, they, what you need even before you ask. What I love about that is that God, Jesus, is telling us, listen, your Father knows what you need. Just come. Just come. Just come. And that is the beauty of prayer. Now, Jesus is going to give us an example of how to pray. And he says, this is how you should pray, verse 9. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus is going to teach us common people how to pray. And first thing he says is declare that God is holy. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Regard it as someone that you honor, someone that you set aside as separate from all things, someone who is special beyond measure. It literally means that God is unique and superior to all things and to everything that is created. In order for us to hallow God's name, in order for us to make him as holy as possible, you must separate him from the creation because he is the creator. He's the one who is above those things, beyond those things. I've been reading a book by Stephen Hawking, which the world celebrates as a great physics, and, and he was the most brilliant man in our recent time of great understanding. Some of the things he says are just plain out idiotic because, see, he doesn't believe in a creator. He just believes that all this stuff just happened by mistake, by accident, by luck. He believes that, that, that we came from this little dot that collapsed upon itself, and now we are here today, and God has nothing to do with it. He literally said that in his book, the, I forgot what it's called, The Great Something. 
But God has nothing to do with it. He, he just theorizes all these different theories, but not God, not him. And I want, you to tell, I want to tell you something, that God is not a part of this creation. He is above the creation. And, and Stephen Hawking was giving different rules that he was going to go by because the great things that people think about is, are there laws of nature that we must follow? Who made those laws? And what about miracles? And he, he just came out and said in his book, there are no miracles, there, are, there is no God. <laughs> what kind of life is that? I mean, don't we live for those miracles? Don't we live? I mean, just even think about just the way we, we, we go to amusement parks, right? We live for the thrill of going to near-death experiences and then coming out smiling, saying, cool. I mean, we just, we love the thrill. We love the adventures which turn into dentures. Thank you. <laughs> it was a horrible birthday card. Horrible. True, but good. It was funny. My great adventures turned into dentures. That's great. But we, we live for the adventure. We live for the moment. We live for the thrill. Why? Because we love to experience that impossibility and then making it possible. In, in the world of Christianity, we call that miracles. Where the adventure is life. And man, it just sometimes the anticipation is hard. Kind of like on that roller coaster with the clink, 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 clink. You know it's coming. You know it's going to happen. You're going to go to that point and you're going to fall. And, and everything inside of you is going to scream because of the adventure that's coming. But yet, when it comes to faith in God, I believe this, that when we put our faith in him, it's that adventure. It's that miracle that happens. It's the excitement of knowing that God can do it. And, and, and in his book, he talks about how that the laws are laws and no one has any rights over them. Um, he's going to find out in that, or he did find out, that God is the one who made those laws. But because he made the laws of nature, things that we observe, things that we live by here on earth, He's not subject to those laws. That's why he can make the things that are impossible possible. That's why he can make an axe head rise by throwing a stick in. That's why he can turn a casserole, or as in Minnesota we call them a hot dish. He can turn some type of food and it's just horrible and throw a little flour in there and boom, it becomes delicious. He doesn't need anything. He is God. He lives by his own rules and his obligations are to him not to our laws we are subject to those things but he is not that's why i pray for miracles that's why i love praying because he is not a part of creation and so if you need a miracle if you need something for god to do don't put don't doubt that he won't do it you got to believe but then let's be honest what happens if he doesn't answer it what happens if we don't get what we've been praying for? What happens if we get disappointed in our belief and our faith and, 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 and God doesn't come through? Why live that way? Why live that way? I like to live hoping we can win. I like to live hoping that we can do it, believing that we can, because that's God. Now, it may not turn out the way I like it, but I know this, that at the very end, we win. In the very end, everything's going to be good. In the very end, we're going to heaven. 
and James and I are going to sit there, and he's going to have his bowl of catfish, and I'm going to have my bowl of buffalo wings. We're going to be good, right? Some people say that in heaven it's vegetarian only. I say, that's not heaven. No way. The thing is, is that you have to have faith in God. He is separate from creation. That's why Jesus said, hallowed be your name. You keep him separate from your problems because he's not limited by your problems. He is God. Jesus said, when you pray, our Father in heaven, put him in the right position. Put him in the right position. Our Father in heaven. Our Father who is above the things that we are in, going through right now. Our Father who is above my health, above my finances, above the church, above my family, above my job, above all these things. My Father is in heaven and you are separate. He's God. I referenced earlier Numbers 23, 19. God is not human that he should lie, nor is son of man that he should change his mind. Does he not speak and then not act? Does he not promise? Does he promise and not fulfill? He will, because that's God. He's God. Jesus also said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe the, simple way, the simplest way of putting this is this. I'm not going to stop you, Lord. I'm not going to stop you. Because when we pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I'm basically telling the Father, I'm not going to stop you. Whatever you desire to do, whatever you want, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to go through, whatever you want me to face, I'm not going to stop what you're going to do. Because I know this, that he is God. He's in the right position in my life. He's above all things. He's the creator. He's separate from creation. And I'm not going to stop what you're going to do. Sometimes God directs us in a way that we does, doesn't seem right to us. But I'm not going to stop. As we were going to my niece's wedding, certain roads were closed. And I had to trust my cell phone. I had to trust that that little voice and that British accent was going to lead me where I was going to go. And I trust it and trust it. Sometimes I didn't. Sometimes I had to look at the overall map and say, where am I? But you know what? Every step of the way, that little voice was guiding me to the destination. And we finally got there. We have to trust that the details of our life are being led by the Spirit of God. And I'm not going to stop where you want me to go. I'm not going to stop you, God. Sometimes God may want us to do things that we don't seem, don't seem to be the best decisions to make. Sometimes God allows us things in our, to happen in our life that we don't understand. But all I'm saying is this. I'm just repeating what Jesus is basically saying. I'm not going to get in your way. You do what you desire. The problem is that we're very smart people. The problem is that we know things. But we have to trust in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Remember a few years ago when we met for church in the wintertime, it was brutally cold. And the heater went down. And, um, and I remember calling up Gary. I said, Gary, I said, you know, we, we, we need some help. The heater's out. And if you don't want to freeze in church, Gary, and you know how long I preach, you better do something. No, Gary just gladly came over and 
And um, they did a couple things and switched out a little part. And next thing you know, it came back to life. Every 20 minutes, I went down there and I was double checking to make sure he was doing it right. No, I didn't do that. Why? Because Gary knew what he was doing. I trust Gary. I don't have to worry. I don't have to wonder. I'm not going to get in your way. You know, there's always those people that always can do it better. I remember back in the day when I used to play in the arcade, and, you know, you would put your quarters up on the, the little glass to let everyone know that I, I'm just going to be playing here for a while. So I'm putting my quarters in, and I'm doing good, you know, and I was playing some video game, and I'm, I'm just doing good. And there's always that little boy who comes up, you should do this, you should do that, you should do this. I'm like, listen, boy, I know this game. You know, and because you always got someone that's trying to get in your way. And when it comes to prayer, don't get in God's way. Just step aside. Let him do what he's going to do. I'm not going to stop you, Lord. And even though I don't understand, even though I don't see it, even though I question because of my experiences, I'm not going to stop you. That's why Jesus says, let your kingdom come, your will be done. And then he says this, give us today our daily bread. You have to trust that God will provide what you need in order to survive. Don't get caught up in tomorrow. Don't get caught up in what's going to come. Don't get caught up in what this world is planning for you. Because your Father is going to provide no matter what you believe or see or think that you have or you don't have. Your Father is going to provide. Why? Jesus tells us, don't worry what we shall eat or what we shall drink or what we shall wear. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is telling us, don't get so caught up in looking at tomorrow. And I'm not talking about being a good planner or making sure that you're set for the future. I understand all those things. But Jesus is saying the worries that this world worries about, don't worry about those things. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Because your heavenly Father already knows you need them. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then those things will be added unto you, given to you as well. I love the fact that when Jesus says, I want you to pray, Father, you are in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus is saying, please just trust in your Father's ability and provisions that he will give you. He will supply what you need today. He will. But first, seek his kingdom, Jesus reminds us. Seek his kingdom. The problem is, is that we tend to seek solutions instead of seeking him first. Turn to him. Run to him. And then he's going to supply all those things. You know, when a few years ago when we were going through some financial difficulties, all we needed, God, was money. Just God, just give us money. God, just provide it. You know what he did? He gave us a boat. He gave us a car. He gave us clothes. He gave us everything but money. So I just kept seeking him. And I just got a motor. I got, you know, and I was getting all these things. Everything that I didn't need, he took care of. Why? Because he loves us. And if you seek him first, he's going to supply you all those things. He's going to supply those things. You know, I, I have a great computer. Why? God supplied those things. Not because I had the money, but he supplied those things. 
And yes, he'll supply the money too. But you got to seek him. Just seek him. Just seek him. And that's why we trust that he will provide for your provisions. And then he says, forgive us our debts that we will have forgiven others our debtors. Debts means literally the things we owe. In the Gospel of Luke, it phrases it, phrases it as forgive us our sins. Because either way, you owe something. So Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my debts. Forgive me of what I owe. The penalty that is due to, to me. But forgive me and forgive others. Now I want you to know this. That you must be willing to forgive others. You must be willing to forgive those people that have hurt you. That are in debt to you. You must do this. Jesus warns us that if we don't, our Father in Heaven won't forgive us. Now, People have often said, you mean that if I have unforgiveness towards someone, I can't go to heaven? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, that your Father in heaven won't forgive you. He put that, that little asterisk in the note there. He's the one who put that a part of the contract. Why? Because forgiveness is so important. You've got to forgive people. You just have to forgive people. Because unforgiveness eats you up more than it eats them up. You have to. And quickly, finally, he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We know that God doesn't lead us into temptation because James tells us in the book of James 1.13, when, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So why does Jesus say, lead us not into temptation? Lead us not. Because what Jesus is saying is pray for the wisdom not to be led into the situations that are going to make you fail. If I was starting a diet, and all diets start on Monday, right? All diets start on Monday. That's just the un, unwritten rule. So if you blow it, don't worry. You got all week until next Monday. That's the way I look at it. So Monday. But here's the thing. If I wanted to start a brand new diet on Monday... You know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to go where that beautiful German chocolate cake is sitting there waiting for me. I'm not going to go right by it. Why? Because that thing is going to end up on a plate and in my mouth. All right? And you don't need dentures for that. You just gum it. Right? Because I'm not going to lead myself into a position. So if I'm, if I'm struggling with, with you know, eating Mexican food, I'm not going to go to El Agave and order chicken tenders. Because I'm just putting myself in a situation of temptation. We must understand that we're asking God, please help me to not put myself in those situations. That's why Jesus says, lead us not into temptation. Meaning, give us the wisdom to not put ourselves in those situations that are going to hurt us. And then he says this, but deliver us from the evil one. Think about this, that Jesus is asking you to think about your enemy. To be aware of your enemy. And, and I think that is one of the greatest faults of people today is that we don't take enough time to take in consideration that we have an enemy that is trying to destroy us. We don't see it. We don't think about it. But Jesus tells us, think about it. Pray that your father would deliver you from the evil one. Why? Because he is all around. He is trying to destroy you. And he will do it little by little if he can. I used to, I used to drink, I don't know if you know this or not, you know, I used to drink um, rust cleaner. I used to drink rust cleaner. I mean, it was good. 
I know, it was, it was good. I know you guys are like, rust cleaner? Yeah, I used to drink rust cleaner. It was called Coca-Cola, right? <laughs> it's called Coke, Coca-Cola. And what's, what's amazing is, is that the phosphoric acid is inside of Coke and Pepsi products and the dark colas. It's an acid, and they use it for cleaning rust on the farms and all this. And if you go to the National Library of Medicines and you look up the phosphoric acid, it tells you that it's, it's dangerous. It, it burns your skin. It does damage to your eyes. But with a little sugar, it tastes good. Now, I just don't drink pop no more. I gave up pop. And it's not because I'm worried that a can of Coke is going to kill me. But it's just because for me, I'm thinking, if it does that much to rust, why do I want to drink it? It's just me. And if I know that it's, it can't be that good, it can't be that good if, if, if you know, if it's got to be safe. It's got to be safe. It's in Coke. It's great. Look at all the people around the world drink Coke. That's great. But for me, I just don't want to drink acid. You know, it's acid that is going to kill me. Now, if we go out to eat and, and you, you know, you got buffalo wings, you better believe I'm going to order a Coke and a little lime. But I'm not going to just guzzle it down every day and drink. Why? Because I just decided that it's not going to, I'm not going to do that because I think that, that my health, and plus I don't want to pay $12 for a case anyways. But anyways, you know, <laughs> I, but there's just that little thing in there called that phosphoric acid that is used to clean rust. And when I was looking at the ingredients one day, I'm like, I just don't want it. So a can of Coke isn't going to kill you. A piece of German chocolate cake isn't going to kill you. But over time, it does things to us. And so for me, I just said I don't want to do it. Why? Because I know this, that there is an enemy that's trying to kill me. I'm not, I'm not going to let him help me. I'm aware. I'm aware of what's inside Coca-Cola and Pepsi products. And so for me, I just choose not to do it. That's just my choice. So we have to be aware of what our enemy is trying to do because he's not going to do it all at once. He doesn't show up at your door and say, hey, by the way, would you like to spend eternity in hell with me and give up your relationship with Jesus? Does that sound good? Come with me. He doesn't do that. But what he does is this. Hey, check this out. Look at that. That's not that big a deal. I mean, you don't have to read. Don't worry about praying. It's going to be okay. He does those little things. And that's why Jesus says to be aware. And he tells us to be aware of our enemy. So this morning, I just want to challenge you. Keep praying. Keep praying. Because I believe this, that God is going to do some amazing things in your life. But you got to keep praying. Like we said in Galatians, don't give up. Don't give up. And when you pray, you pray with confidence, knowing that you're praying to a God who is in heaven above all things. And he will move on your behalf.